welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Hey, welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. We're helping Christian leaders navigate through some of the challenges and cultural issues of our day. I'm Ed Stetzer. I'm the editor-in-chief of Outreach Magazine, executive director for the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Today, we have as our guest, Dr. Ted Essler. Now, uh, I want you to meet Ted because Ted and I have been friends for a while, really thankful for his uh, partnership in the ministry. He's the president of Missio Nexus, which is an association of agencies and churches representing uh, 30,000 Great Commission workers worldwide. So think of it in terms of missionary partnerships worldwide. Great Commission workers is the language we're using now. Uh, he's been a church planner in Sarajevo in Bosnia during the 1990s. He's the author of Overwhelming Minority, the story of his family's ministry there. His new book we're going to talk about today is called The Innovation Crisis, Creating Disruptive Influence in the Ministry you lead. Uh, Let me remind you first, if you're enjoying the interviews, uh, take a moment and leave a review wherever you download. Maybe it's Apple Podcasts, somewhere else. Leave a review so that others can find this uh, super helpful resource. So so we're going to write to Ted. Ted, give us a simple definition to start of what you mean by innovation, because you use the word crisis, and and let's talk about what the crisis is about. What's innovation? I should say first, thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, it's great to be here, Ed. And uh, when, when I ask people to leave reviews, by the way, I always say leave a good review. Just uh, that's fair. That's a, a, a fair. Pro tip for you there. Yeah, if, you, um, if, you have ba- if you have a bad new a bad review, just email it to your friend. Don't yeah, don't put it go. on the <laughs> on the social media. All right, good. So when I talk about innovation, innovation is either the creation of something new or the mixing of existing components to create something new. And in a ministry context. Uh, there are so many different areas to innovate in. I know innovation today is kind of tied in with technology, but actually the biggest innovations are not in the tech arena. They're sociological, they're uh, about ideas, etc. So when I'm talking about innovation in ministry, uh, I'm, it, it can cover a wide range of different um, areas in which we're leading in ministry. Okay. Okay. So, um, so as I walk in this space, you know, I, I've been, we did this research project at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, looking at the rise of innovation. There was this explosion of innovation in the 80s. And uh, we kind of tracked it and did a bunch of oral history interviews about how innovation developed and grew and, and really became mainstream. Uh, some people might say, you know, all the innovation's been done. You know, churches have made changes in the way they do church. Other people are like, well, we don't want to make any more changes or we made too many. So I guess the question is, is what should we be looking at to innovate if there are eternal truths and messages and practices of a church? What, what, and again, not all of our listeners are pastor local church leaders, but you know, it is the church leaders, Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. So what is there still to innovate? Well, I I would just say, you know, Jesus, the, the founder of our faith, our Lord, he was incredibly innovative, not just in the message, but also how he delivered that message and how he related it to other people. That continues to be the challenge of our day in ministry when it comes to innovation. I think that, you know, the thing that drives innovation in business tends to be competition. And in ministry, it's also competition. The difference is we're not competing with other ministries. We shouldn't be anyway. Our competition is with culture. And, you know, just as 
different corporations, when they compete, they change and morph. Wow, culture. Think about the changes in our culture that bring about the need for us to innovate. And if we can learn to change how we communicate, like Jesus did, how we present that message, how we relate to people, all those areas that have to do with how we touch the lives of other people, they're all ripe for innovation. And, you know, I'd say if we think all the innovation's been done, strap on your seatbelt, because there's, I think with the radical changes we're seeing in culture, we're going to see a lot more innovation in ministry. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's look at some of those things. So um, pews are an innovation, believe it or not. So pews are innovation. Music, congregational singing is, had to be innovated back after it moved away from the practice of the local churches. Um, the type of music we leave, uh, 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 an organ was an innovation, actually a controversial one because it was more used in the world and then it got brought into the church. So all these things are changes and innovations, but today, you know, I mean, I'm thinking of the church I preached that Sunday. I mean, it, it felt like the church I preached at the week before and the week before, you know, they all had a big screen. They all had a smoke machine. They all had a keyboard and a drums. And so, so what should we be asking? Cause again, I, if we, again, if you haven't read, read the book, I do want to encourage people to get the book because this is a big part of the discussion, but, and the, and the book is the innovation crisis creating disruptive influence in the ministry you lead. So I, I would think that almost every church thinks of itself as innovative today or having innovated today. So why do we need to keep thinking about innovation? Well, again, it's because that culture that we're living in is shifting and moving so fast. Okay. Let me just say the title of the book is The Innovation Crisis. And I call it that because my view is there is not enough innovation happening in the church right okay. now. And, you know, for the I would say the best exhibit of that, and this is probably going to frustrate some people that are listening to this call, when COVID hit, and all of a sudden we can no longer meet the way we've been meeting for centuries, I was expecting that we were going to see new forms of connecting, hmm. new forms of communicating. I, instead, what most what happened at most churches is the same thing that was happening on Sunday morning continued to happen in an empty building with a video camera. Now that, that's great and that's a change, but listen, in 1996, I was living in war-torn Bosnia and I was the plenary speaker for a missions conference that was being held in Sydney, Australia. Hmm. Now that's 1996. 96, that's a, wow. Yeah. That's a long time you ago. You had some pretty good internet to pull that off. Well, we, we had to make some special arrangements with NATO, if you can believe that. <laughs> wow. But the, but the point just being that, you know, these are these are changes in forms. And I, I was just I was really kind of shocked that we didn't see, for example, if you don't have to preach to a large audience, but instead can use all the resources available on the Internet, because people are going to be watching essentially through a YouTube window. Why not take people on a virtual walk through the streets of Jerusalem as you're talking about the context of the city that you're working or living in. Now, I know a few churches did that kind of a yeah. thing, yeah. but for the most part, we as people do what we know how to do. Yeah. And particularly success here is our Achilles heel, because if we have grown a ministry using a particular model, when we're up against new challenges, instead of thinking about new ways to conquer those challenges, our default switch is to use the old model and maybe just ride the bicycle faster and harder, <laughs> but we return to what we know. 
Yeah. That thing, that, that concept, that's obviously the innovator's dilemma, a well-known business concept. Right. But that's what we do in ministry. And I think that's why we have a crisis right now, because we're not seeing people uh, take, you know, I would say take big risks to try new and exciting ways of doing ministry. Yeah. The, um, I remember when, you know, you wrote this book during COVID, the timeline, you have to write it during that season. Um, so I remember I was at Moody Church. I was the interim teaching pastor there at Moody Church when shutdown came. And, you know, Moody is, you think of Moody Church, you don't think of television, you think, or broadcast or video, you think of radio. And because it's kind of, so before COVID, our camera, if you've ever been to that building, it's, well, you have been to the building, it's 3,750 seats. And the camera was on the top level in the back. So it's basically like a football field away. Right. And it was, I don't, I don't think it was high def either. And so we had an empty building and I was up there preaching at first from a pulpit in an empty building. Um, and it took a season, but it seemed that the crisis actually, I mean, Moody church now has, you know, the cameras are down on the floor. Now they weren't on the floor because people wouldn't, didn't want them on the floor. Well, now it's like, okay, we had to do these things. So crisis seems to provide opportunity for innovation. You kind of say in the book that we didn't innovate enough during the most recent crises and we continue to have crises that seem to unfold as we go. So, um, so what would your hope be? What would it look like if, you know, the listeners here at the church leaders podcast are saying, I want to innovate like, like Ted thinks I should innovate. What will we be thinking? How would we be innovating? Well, I would say that we would be systematically looking at different areas of our ministry and asking ourselves the question, if I had to de design this from scratch, in this cultural moment, what would this thing look like? And then try to drive our people toward that uh, approach. Let, for example, our culture right now is in massive upheaval regarding uh, centuries of Christian tradition regarding gender roles and human sexuality. What kind of responses could that drive in us as church leaders that would revolutionize the conversation in this area. Our default switch is to, is to turn to, uh, you know, it's wrong, it's bad, it shouldn't happen, that there's all these new sexual identities out there. That's a switch, I, that, that's a, those are statements I would agree with. I think the scripture is clear on, on this, but communicating with that style, that form, that message, in 2022, is going to get a very different response than it did in, you know, 1985, 1990, even 2015 or 2016. And so we need to be thinking about all the various segments in our culture that are crying out for gospel witness, mm -hmm. that are crying out for relevant messaging about the person and the love of Christ. And we need to be thinking about how could we be doing this better? You know, in the church, there's been, you know, as you mentioned, there's been some eras of kind of extreme innovation, and then things kind of go flat for a while. Then there's extreme innovation again, and they go flat. I've noticed that of all people, missionaries tend to be behind many of the innovative spurts that we experience. Leslie Newbigin. Now, you may not like some of the things that Leslie Newbigin introduced to the church in the West, but he was a missionary in India came back to his UK culture and wow, this is different. I need to apply missionary principles here. Right. New that was revolutionary in its time. Yeah. Church growth, Donald McGavern, where'd he come from? The mission field. 
you know, I work in the, in the area of, of global missions. A guy named Ralph Winter talked about unreached people groups in 1974 at Lausanne. It was revolutionary. You know, where are we going to get those innovators today that are going to talk to us about these enormous new cultural shifts that are happening around us? That's what I'm praying for. And if, if some of those innovators could step to the fore, uh, that that to me would be a huge uh, positive for the church. Just so to be clear, you never have to defend Leslie Newbegin on this podcast. So, because okay. I'm a big okay. Leslie Newbegin fan, so but I, I get it, I get it, and you know, because you're in the missions world where some of his things were controversial, and 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 I, and I get that. But some of the examples you gave are really helpful. So, um, at, you mentioned Ralph Winter and Unreached People Group. So that was at at Lausanne. Uh, that was at Lausanne. Introduced this idea and um, one of the Lausanne meetings, and it was it was transformative to the way we think about missions and missionaries. And now what's interesting is um, I was, in, I, don't know, I think I participated a little bit in this kind of ongoing dialogue about whether that idea needs to be reconsidered, you know, because what is, sure. what do we get to the last people group? What does that mean for the mission and more? So it seems that innovations sort of do replace one another. Um, we think of the seeker movement in the eighties and nineties. And, you know, I, I don't think you're having a lot of churches today saying, I want to be seeker. But they may have learned some things from the seeker movement that then they are engaging in, I don't know, the, even the young Russellson reform seem to learn some things from the seeker movement. So how do innovations replace, build on, how, do, how does that impact one another? Well, you know, the book talks about, disrupt, so the disruptive leaders, uh, disruptive innovation is what we tend to think about when we consider innovation. And, and of course, we're all thinking about our iPhones. Um, that, that is one form of innovation. In fact, I have here in my office, I have the first Kindle that Amazon put out. And it's a funny looking little device with little white chiclet keys. Then I also have the, I actually just got the latest Fire HD Kindle tablet device. And let me tell you that that, new, that newest device is many multitudes better than the original device. Which one was more revolutionary, though? Yeah, yeah. It's that old stinky little it's thing. It's true. It's true. It was revolutionary because it changed so many assumptions about how we thought and how we did reading. So those are two different types of innovation. There's a team at Amazon that's, that's always innovating on that Fire HD tablet and making yep. it just a little bit better with every iteration. That is a very different kind of a team than the team that they had to pull together to make the very first Kindle. Hmm. So those are two very distinct types of innovation processes, but they're both valid. And yeah. in the church, I think we need both. We need that kind of disruptive. We need those people that are out there really kind of pressing the edges on trying something new and many of them failing as they go about that. But then we also need the kind of constant upgrading that needs to happen just to kind of keep up with where culture is headed. So those are two distinct types of innovation and yep. we need both kinds. You know, and as you know, I'm a missiologist, you're, you're a missiologist. The, um, you know, I was just, just before we did the podcast today, I was, uh, we were filming a video anyway, got in a conversation with one of the team who has really been influenced by uh, Tampa underground, uh, what we call underground, the underground movement. And, you know, and, and had a critique of it, and which was actually a, a critique I might agree with of it, related to ecclesiology. But what I said to him was, you know, I'm kind of of the view that I'm going to be for all so many people in order to reach people who are trying new, I don't know if I use the word innovative, but new innovative things. 
uh, knowing that you know we, we might differ on some paths ultimately to get there. So it does seem to require a certain willingness for people to do things different than you. That is not maybe a hallmark of the Church of Jesus Christ. So how do you encourage people to uh, to do innovation in a world where, you know, I mean, there are some things that shouldn't change. The gospel should be preached. The Lord's Supper should be partaken in. I mean, these are all things that should be in church, should be there forever. So so how do you help people to think through what to innovate and what not? What's part of the faith once delivered to the saints? Well, the first thing I would just say is people got to think about the ministry of Jesus. Think of all the things he introduced that weren't there before his ministry. I mean, I'm talking about little issues like the new covenant, right? That, that, that is such a huge idea for a first century Jew to get their mind around. Yeah. And so, you know, when I come up to resistance to innovation, I just want to, I like to point out to people that Jesus, he just, I think I counted him at one time. There's like 15 things, new, big things. I'm not talking about small changes, big things that he introduced that were shocking to people in his time. And, you know, the shock of a Pharisee, for example, seeing Jesus touching, loving, doing things that Jews didn't do in his day, that's something we got to be cautious about yeah. as Christian leaders. Okay, We don't want to be uh, Pharisee 2.0 here. So I would just, I would say, and this probably comes a little bit from my missiological background, I'd say we got to be really careful when it comes to innovation that we think in terms of simple faith, simple or mere orthodoxy, and allow lots of room around the edges for people to try and do different things, knowing that it's not all going to be good stuff. In my community right now, for example, there is a controversy around a strategy of church planning that focuses on movements. And, uh, you know, I don't... In I'm the not, mission in the missions world. We talk about your in the community. Missions you're not talking world, about right. Orlando, but you're talking about in the missions community, right? In the missions community. Correct. Thank you. The, that, that strategy or that approach is, um, it's not like the kind of church planning that I did when I went out to Bosnia in the 1990s. And the first time I heard about it, I remember having a personal kind of a automatic I wouldn't say visceral, but strong reaction. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. That's kind of our default switch. And I have a black belt in karate and they teach you that when you walk up to somebody and give them a shove, the first thing they do is they resist that shove. It's kind of like it's built into us as people. And uh, we'd be better off letting ourselves be shoved a little bit sometimes and not always have the default switch of pushback and say, this is bad. This is wrong. Now that said, um, you know, obviously there's truths. Those truths don't change, but those truths are delivered almost always in a cultural envelope. And that cultural envelope is where we really need to be smart about innovation. Cultural envelope. Okay. This is helpful because one of the things that a lot of people, you know, again, you and I are in that space of the missiological conversation, um, which is, you know, I mean, we're talking about, there was a, you know, controversy about innovation around Bible translation. Well, not just one controversy. There's there's regularly controversy. Sure. Oh, should you use this word in another language? Should you use an accelerated means of technology? Should you? I mean, I, I could go through ten of them, and you and I would know every one of them. But it's not what you know regular pastors and church leaders are are asking about. So they might make the assumption 
Um, and I think it would be a, a, a natural and normal assumption that, okay, if you're in Bosnia where you were planting or if you're engaging a linguistic study, people are going to use innovative means to do that. But I'm just preaching the gospel and I'm just worshiping Jesus in a local church. Leave me alone. We already went through the worship wars. We already changed and our churches now, you know, not all have, but a lot of churches have moved in that more contemporary direction. Um, so why would you say to them, again, let me just remind everyone too, that the book in the book is The Innovation Crisis, Creating Disruptive Influence in the Ministry You Lead. Why does the average church leader need to feel like he or she is an innovator? Why does that matter if we can just go preach the gospel, love people, and disciple them? I mean, you know that little sign on your rear view mirror or your side view mirror that says objects in mirror are closer than they appear? That's why. Yeah. Because the changes that we are going to be living through in the next 15 to 20 years are going to be just as accelerated as the ones we've been through in the last 15 to 20 years. And, you know, frankly, it's, it's flabbergasting to see all of the cultural shift, particularly in our moral universe as Westerners. I've been reading uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, the Abolition of Man the last couple nice. of weeks. Nice. And reflecting on postmodernism, because that book is really a book about postmodernism written way back then. We're living in an era where it's hard to know what truth is. And when someone makes a truth claim, I am now conditioned to basically say, no, that's not true. That's a, that's a sea change from where we were 10, 15 years ago. And I think it's quite possible that if we project 10 to 15 years into the future, we're going to see even more of this kind of a change ahead of us. So we as church leaders, if our target is to reach the people that are around us and globally, we have to become, I think, much more innovative about how we reach them and how we think about who we are. Let me just give you one little example. In the book, I talk about identity as an area ripe for innovation in ministry. When I say identity here, I'm not talking about personal identity or sexual identity. I'm talking about how we as Christians are perceived in the world. Okay. The Association of Gospel Rescue Missions, they realized that their name, the Association of Gospel Rescue Missions, was keeping them from partnering well with local city officials. When city officials saw a gospel rescue mission in the name, their default switch was, well, those aren't people we work with. So they changed their name to City Gate Network. Now, there's more to this than what I can share here in this short uh, talk. But basically, re gospel rescue missions, they provide social services that every city needs. And when the city officials began to recognize that, hey, here's a group providing social services for free to our city, and politicians realized they could get credit for offering social services in their city at no cost to them, it made a big change in how they were perceived. Now, when they made that change, there were some people in the association that, hey, we've been called this for 50, 60 years. There's nothing yeah. wrong with the name, yada, yada, yada. But a small change in how they would be identified in that urban environment, it has opened up many, many doors. For them. So that, that's one of seven different issues I go through in the book in which we can look at. Actually, there's more than that, really. There's, 
I think there's 12 different ways. It's kind of a systematic walkthrough of our right. ministries, right. looking for ways that we could have ripe tar targets for innovation in our context. Yeah, and again, that's one of the things I like about the book. Again, it's called The Innovation Crisis. Ted Esler is the author, Creating Disruptive Influence in the Ministry You Lead. Because I think one of the challenges, people aren't asking the questions, um, what do I need to change? They, we kind of, we moved to, as you mentioned, I, I love the karate example because I know nothing about karate uh, other than the Karate Kid movie. Um, but we, when we push, we naturally just push back. And so we're not asking the questions, how can we take the unchanging gospel message, even the, the truths that we hold to be universally true about the church and its mission, but what does it look like? Because your church looks a lot different than it did 100 years ago. And the question is, what will it look um, like in the future? And I think the last few years has helped us to think through some of these things. But a lot of people, there, there's a book called uh, You're It. It's, uh, it's written by a series of authors. It's about um, crisis leadership. And in the book, they talk about how in a crisis, you go down to the basement using your brain, like your basement or your brain, and then you get to the workroom. So we all, you know, spring 2020, we're all in the basement trying to figure out what are we going to do? And then you got to summer 2020 and we're in the workroom, we get patterns, but some got up into the laboratory. That's the third room that they talk about. Some got up into the laboratory and I actually challenged my team. I have about 200 fuller part-time people who report up uh, to me. And I got them all on Zoom when we were all locked down. And I said, I want you to be asking the question now, what are we going to do now that's going to be a huge impact for who we are and what we're going to be doing two years from now? I don't know if I said two years because we didn't know it lasts as long. Um, so I like, I like you pretty close. I like people getting into that laboratory place, but that's not, that's not where we normally live. Um, but help so, us, help us a little bit historically, right? You deal with some of this in the book. How has the church been innovative? You mentioned some about Jesus. I mean, ultimately the fulfillment of the law, what this all meant, some shifts in the way, um, the people of God related and gathered, but, but, um, what, what, give us some more historical examples for people who may be unpersuaded. And what are some consequences of the church if we continue to neglect, we don't address the innovation crisis? Well, well first of all, I would just say, if you look at the Reformation through the, through the lens or through the angle of innovation, what you realize is the Reformation was an era of unprecedented rediscovery. And that's, that's a good piece, by the way, of innovation, especially for ministries that have a, you know, you can go back and you can find out who your founders were and read what they had envisioned when they started that ministry, that can provide good fodder for how you might innovate again on an original mission. But I digress. The Reformation, that's an example of innovation and innovation in ministry. The whole concept of the priesthood of the believer just has so many innovative uh, you know, things that come out of it. It's, it's mind boggling. Going back in the early church and how early Christians were serving uh, the poor, the lepers, the disease. They served in times of famine and plague, hospital systems, university systems, all these kinds of things were actually developed by Christians. And there was a time when if you ask the, qu the question, you know, where's innovation gonna come from? The answer would not be Elon Musk. The answer could actually have been about Christian leaders. Hmm. Um, I can't imagine in our culture today, somebody saying, who are the most innovative people out there and getting the answer back? Oh, it's people in the church. Right. I mean, that again, it points back to this idea of why I think we're in an innovation crisis. Okay. And, and, and that's, and I do, that's a key part of the theme is the innovation crisis. So keep going. So I, I do think that, you know, we, 
we as leaders, I just, this isn't what you directly asked, but let me just say one other thing, Go for because it. this is called the church leader podcast. Yeah. There's a concept that I first read about in a sociological study of all evil places to be reading about um, something called horizontal hostility. Hmm. And that concept is about, it happens in any kind of a movement where you have strong leaders within the movement. Those leaders actually become bigger enemies of each other than they do those that oppose their movement. And in the sociological study I read, they were talking about women's uh, voting rights and that whole movement. We all know who Susan B. Anthony is because she was a hero of that movement. What you don't know is there was another woman that started that movement before Susan B. Anthony got involved. And those two disagreed on strategy and Susan B. Anthony basically buried her and wow. kept her from getting any recognition any resources, any influence. Funny enough, as I thought about it, it's what you read about in the New Testament when Paul talks about other leaders in the Christian movement sniping at him and trying to take him down. And I would just say that this is probably an area that we as evangelicals need to think deeply about because we offer up a lot of friendly fire. In this area of innovation, we, we, we just got to accept, you know, not everything's going to be working out like we want. There's going to be mistakes. There's, I have personally led ministry mistakes. I led a very public one in the last year or two as we worked on developing a health program for missionary agencies that failed. That kind of failure is what we want to have. Now, we don't really want it, but it's going to come with innovation. So we as leaders need to have a very high tolerance for other leaders and give them enough rope for them to try some new things. Maybe some of them are going to hang themselves, maybe not. But let's be careful not to simply go after one another in this kind of con and use this horizontal hostility concept and fall into that pattern. Instead, let's really encourage uh innovation when we see it it's yeah, kind of like you're just talking about your friend that said you're talking about the movement in tampa yeah. and immediately you get into a conversation on what they don't like about it yeah totally totally that, that, that is how, that's our that's us as evangelicals it is it is it's just as humans but i would say as evangelicals we tend to be or i don't know, maybe the wrong term is even evangelicals because I mean, as kind of christians are more rooted in theology and bible i mean there's an old expression you know if it's new it's probably not true you know, I don't want to come and someone come up with entire new theological, you know, pathways that, uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, we have to separate what is once the faith once delivered to the saints, you know, Jude 3 and 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23, I become all things to all men that by all my means possible, I might save some. All right. So in regards to innovation, I, I was watching a reel. We're kind of into the reels lately, Donna and I. And so I was watching a reel and there was this woman, I don't know who it was. But she said that my dad at the dinner table would ask us once a week, what have we failed at this week? And I, I was, she got my attention. And she said, because um, my dad wanted to say, and I'm like, I felt, I, went, I needed to ask my daughters this, because my dad wanted us to try some things and we're going to fail if we try some things. So that's part of the challenge that we have in innovation is that, I mean, you mentioned your healthcare thing and I watched that. I mean, I was, I was cheering for you and that didn't go so well. Um, so... So how do you, you tried something, you failed something. If it had worked, it would have been a big deal. I mean, I'm, I'm so for you doing it. So how do we encourage people to try knowing that they will fail and some of the innovations are not going to be what we hope they'd be? Well, you know, one thing that I experienced personally through that failure 
is um, I have a I have a group of leaders around me, so I have a board. Missio Nexus has a board, and you know, right from the beginning, as we talked about this new idea, we put it out there that this thing might not work, and uh, you know, there was a risk involved with it, and they went along with that risk. So, you know, without giving the long story, in a sense, COVID and a couple other factors created a very large claim run on our program, and it financially became unfeasible. And we had to innovate ourselves out of that problem. Yeah. And the thing that was encouraging for me was to see that board, instead of uh, blame, instead of question uh, my leadership, uh, there was some of that, and there was some blame to go around. There was also a warm embrace that, hey, we made this decision together to go on this route, and we knew there was risk involved. And, you know, despite, despite the failure, we don't want you to stop innovating. They said to me, if this keeps you from innovating, that diminishes your useful to us as a leader. And they're right yep. about that. Yep. And they did not punish me. We did have, you know, very good action uh, after action review. It was not an easy thing to talk through. It was, you know, it was hard. It was a failure. It really was. And so, you know, I would just say as we, when we think about failure in the Christian world, it's often moral failure. And we apply the same types of thinking to other types of failure that we apply to moral failure. And we have got to get out of that game. And we've got to encourage leaders to try things. And they should know that even if things don't go the way they want them to, uh, they're not going to lose their position. They're, you know, they're not going to be you know, inordinately punished if they're innovating. So, you know, I would say just really embracing that failure is a great idea. Yeah, it was, it was, I, I thought that reel was really helpful. And as a dad, I thought I should have thought of that. You know, there's a lot of things that I look back and say I should have thought of. When I was at Lifeway, I was actually, Tom Rayner put me in charge of what he called entrepreneurial innovation. And the first thing we did went okay. The second thing we did, we lost six figures, um, $150,000 loss on what we planned to do. And I remember walking into his office and I can just say, listen, I said, we got we to pull the plug on this. It's not working. We're going to lose $150,000 this year on this. And it was really one of the moments that was very clarifying for me because he said, um, he said, well, I understand. We, gave, we asked some questions. I said, yep. Uh, we kind of overshot or we overestimated what we could do. We underestimated our expenses. And, uh, and he said, okay, well, let's, let's shut it down and let's move on. What's the next innovation that you're going to do? And it was interesting because it was that permission. And the next next time thing we did, we actually launched something called the Gospel Project, which now 1.7 million people have in their hands every week. Um, and so, so if it if if that had been the end of the innovation, uh, and I would have, and not only I didn't think I was going to get fired because I, I ran other stuff like Lifeway Research, but if at that point he said, "Well, then let's not do any more," we wouldn't have had the big breakthrough in the very next thing. So, last 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 word, last thoughts from you. So. Church leaders are listening. They're like, okay, so what's some next steps? Now, I, I want to say to them, I would encourage them to get the innovation crisis, creating disruptive influence in the ministry you lead. So what's the next step, in addition to getting the book, what's the next step for me to start thinking or increasing the innovation conversation at my church, among my staff, among my leaders or elders? I mean, a great, a great first step for any ministry to take is to do a deep self-assessment about why they are doing things the way they are doing things now. 
And I think what we'll find, what you'd find for most organizations, and, I, and this is true for my own organization that I lead, many of the projects, many of the processes, many of the things that we do, we're doing, um, it's almost like in a production mode. It's things we've done in the past, we know how to do it, and we continue to do those very things, especially things that caused success in the past. Those become the enemies of future innovation. So I, I would say do a deep dive with your team about the why question. Why are we doing what we're doing the way we're doing it? And if I was to design something from scratch for today's environment to meet whatever challenge that thing is trying to solve, how would I design it? That, those, that's a really good way to start with your team in terms of thinking about innovating. Super helpful. As a member of Missio Nexus, we're thankful for you and your partnership and your leadership and your, even your transparency here about the stumble, but um, continuing to do good work. We're thankful for you. We've been talking to Dr. Ted Esler. Be sure to check out his book, The Innovation Crisis, Creating Disruptive uh, Influence in the Ministry You Lead. Uh, you can learn more about uh, Ted and his work at Missio, uh, M-I-S-S-I-O, Nexus, N-E-X-U-S dot org. Thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation helpful, not if you found it unhelpful, Ted reminded us of, but if you found it helpful, take a few moments, leave a review wherever you download your podcast. Helps other ministry leaders find this free podcast and benefit from our content. Hey, thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.